And uh, let me share with you, this past Sunday I was going to wrap up Disciple because September, thanks guys for just going ahead with the offering receptacles, God bless you. If you're a guest with us, we always tell you you're under no obligation, um, but this is for our regular members and attenders, but if you want to sow, we appreciate that, and uh, God bless you for any generosities. Um, we've been talking about apprehending God's promise on Wednesday night, and then on Sundays we've been talking about uh, being a disciple. And so we're going to shift gears, we're going to finish up Disciple on uh, this Sunday, and then we're going to deal with some September topics. We're going to talk a little bit about stewardship and what that means, and that'll be fun. I assure you, it'll be fun. But on Wednesday nights, I want to spend several Wednesday nights talking about something. I was reminded the other day, and um, it seemed good to the Spirit. And so I want to talk about on a few Wednesday nights, on a a few weeks, on the subject of the coming of the Lord. How many of you enjoy topics about the coming of the Lord? I mean, if you, I mean, I mean, they sell books. I mean, how, I mean, Tim LaHaye is a billionaire, a gazillionaire, man. He wrote those 12 volumes, and uh, wow, they were just gobbled up. The world didn't even understand it. They, they were on the New York bestseller list, and the world didn't even understand why anybody would be interested in that. But there's something in the heart of man, and especially in the heart of Christians, to uh, somehow figure out What's going to happen in the end? It's always a subject of interest because people want to try to figure it out. Is this it? Are we it? And um, with all the things that are going on, we've got war in the Middle East. How many of you know Iraq was uh, ancient Babylon? Baghdad was ancient Babylon. Um, There are so many interesting, historical, prophetic things that take place in the area of Iraq and Iran that uh, just solicit our interest when it comes to uh, eschatology. Eschatology is the study of last things when it comes to studying the end times. So we've got war in the Middle East. We've got tensions with Muslims. Um, We have terrorism. All of this is not only relevant to us today, but it is very prophetic, and it just causes at least me to be curious as to what God may be up to. There's also changes in Europe that are going on. Sometimes you hear about them, sometimes you may think about it, sometimes you may not. For instance, uh, the European Union that we've been hearing about for years and years and years is coalescing and coming to pass. How many of you know right now there's a euro dollar, there's a a single monetary unit happening right now in Europe, which was prophesied thousands of years ago that that would take place. Um, It's interesting, Russia, had a terrorist happening with two airplanes recently. They have linked it back, they believe, to Chechenian rebels. But I find it interesting that now other nations, Spain, other nations are facing terrorist activity, which is causing all the nations of the world now to begin to focus on the Middle East. Now, now you have to remember, when you read the prophetic literature about how everyone's attention is going to come to the Middle East, how, you have to ask yourself, at least years ago you might have, how is everyone's attention going to come to the Middle East. Well, how many of you know it's not too far-fetched these days? With all the terroristic activities that could happen at any nation at any time, everybody naturally is going to start focusing on what's going on in the Middle East. And uh, poor little Israel is probably going to get blamed for a lot of it here in the not-too-distant future. So it's not too big of a leap to begin to see how there's a lot of threads that are being woven and sewed, and all of it can be tidied up relatively easily. I have to confess to you that whenever I do second coming topics, although I'm kind of interested in it, 
I really don't feel like it's one of my stronger subjects. Um, and there's various reasons for that, and I won't get into all of the reasons. Uh, I, I, I feel like there's a lot left to do now. Um, people ask me at times, are you post-millennial, pre-millennial, you know, what are you? I say I'm pan-millennial, it's just all going to pan out in the end anyway. So it's just so, yeah, just, I'm going to live right and live all out, and, and the rest will take care of itself. So I tend to focus a little bit on what God is doing today and what needs to be done today. And, and I went to a, a seminary that probably didn't emphasize it as much as other schools might, and so I probably didn't come away uh, with as much understanding in this area. And I know that there are, are ministries and there are people, there are, there are television ministries, writing ministries, that uh, just they, this is all they do. They focus on all of this. And so uh, I understand, probably some of you, some of you may be really into this. I mean, this is your thing. You read every book, you watch every television special. You know, you got Jack Van Empey, you've got, you know, Hal Lindsey and Tim LaHaye, and you've got all these guys, man, and you just gobble it all up. And you know what? I'll just, I'll just look and say, great. So don't come up and tell me that this is this, okay, I, 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 because the, the other thing I'm going to share with you is this. The reason I don't teach it much is because I know all the different perspectives. And to be honest with you, ask me next week and some things could be adjusted. Be because everybody's got a piece of truth. And there are certain things, and we're going to talk about that tonight. Everybody's got a, a piece of truth that makes a lot of sense at times. And so um, a lot of times uh, I'm not just so quick to be dogmatic on the subject. One thing I do know, he's coming again. I'm, I'm, I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. He will come again. And now some of the details we may have a difference of opinion on. But I am rock solid. He will come again. And, and I'm looking forward to that day. But let me read to you a couple things. If you have your Bibles, open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. We're just going to do some introduction here. But I'll tell you what, if you, and this is up to you. If you've got folks you know, Christian friends, and they're really into this stuff, I'm going to be here several weeks. And so if they really get into this stuff... You may just say, well, we've been talking about that on Wednesday night. Maybe you'd like to come and listen about it. And you might want to let them know, because we're going to be right here talking about the coming of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. Now, we'll read these verses probably several times in the upcoming weeks. Um, but let me just sew a couple things into you tonight. It says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. That's good news. Verse 18, he tells us what to do with all of this. What do you do with all this? He says in verse 18, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another. I don't know about you all, you know, I grew up, in the holiness movement, and we'd have camp meetings or we'd have revival meetings, and the evangelist would come to town. A lot of times he'd have his charts and his, you know, his backdrop. You know, I've got me one. I'm going to fill it out before your very eyes, all right? I've got me one. And, and you know, he'd just come and scare the fire out of you. I mean, he just, and, and, you know, there are some things that probably we needed to be frightened over. If you weren't living right, you probably needed the fear of the Lord in you. But I can remember just walking out going, oh, Lord, I'm only... 18 years old, I got too much life to live, Lord, for you to come tomorrow. That's how I thought. 
You, you, know, you know, sometimes, I'm just interested when you talk to people, sometimes ladies, especially if they're young and perhaps they haven't had children, oftentimes they'll say, I haven't had children yet, Lord, how could you come? Or I haven't got the big job, how could you come? I really have some things I'd like to accomplish, how could you come? I mean, there, oftentimes we, we run into this, the older you get, you don't say that as much. You say with John the Revelator, even so, come quickly. Please come quickly. But sometimes when you're younger, it doesn't work that way. And in verse 18, he says, comfort one another with these words. So they weren't meant to scare you. It was meant to comfort you. Now turn to chapter 5, verse 11. He goes through, and and, and we'll deal with these verses. He's going to talk about a thief in the night. He's going to talk about sons of the light, sons of the darkness. We're going to talk about that. He will become as a thief in the night. And he goes through all of this and explains it. And then he says in verse 11, he says, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. So again, as he talks about all this, it isn't just to put the fear of God in you, but he says, man, this should build you up. This should, this should keep you on target, comfort you. Now, John had something similar to say in the book of the Revelation. Let me read just a couple verses here, and then we'll get rolling. Uh, Revelation 1, verse 3, I believe it was. Revelation 1 and 3. He said, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. A lot of times we kind of steer clear from Revelation. Well, let me just suggest this to you. If you're a new Christian, I would probably counsel you to steer clear. Everybody wants to start in the Revelation. I, I would get a hold of the Gospel of John probably first. And, 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 and then we'll, we'll work on the Revelation. The Revelation has a lot of images and a lot of interesting types and figures and symbols, and uh, you probably need a few things under your belt. But it shouldn't take too long before you could embrace verse 3 where it says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now how many of you know if he wrote this in A.D. 95 and he said the time is near, how close do you think we are? We close. We real close. And turn to the back of the book, Revelation 22, and I'm just reading you some things about this whole area, just hopefully to sow some confidence, comfort into you. Revelation 22, verse 6, it says, Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Now that's going to be an interesting verse because we're going to deal with one lesson under the subject of how much can you really know? You know, he said, no man knoweth the, the, the day or the hour. And it's true, we won't know the day or the hour. But the question is, can you know the season? That's, that's a really going to be a really interesting lesson. Because he says that he, he, he's going to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he said to me, see that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of the book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He was unjust, let him be unjust still. He was filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. Verse 12, Jesus says, and behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Praise God. I want to make sure he's got a big bucket with mine. All right? 
There's nothing wrong with that. To work for God, there's nothing wrong with that. Praise God. So let's talk about this a little bit. Again, it's to comfort you. I know there are some that may need a real horror show. And let me just say this, that if you're left on earth after Jesus comes, it will be a horror show. So from that standpoint, if you need the fear of the Lord, we'll talk about it. Now, hopefully, we'll just believe that the Wednesday night crew is living all out. Uh, because that's how you want to live, and that you'll live in such a way that th that won't even be a consideration for you. But for those that are left, it will be a horror show. But for those that are ready, it will be the greatest day of your life. Let's talk just a little bit. Um, again, this is introductory stuff, but I want to make sure that everybody, because I got people here who are probably experts, and others of you that are going, I really don't know much about this area. So, for those of you that are experts, bear with me. I'll give you lots of interesting stuff along the way that you never considered before. But I, I want to make sure everybody's with us. So, so my first point is let's understand a little vocabulary so we're all on the same page. We want to understand what we're talking about. And I want to give you just a few quick words or concepts that we're going to come back to later. And hopefully it, it, it'll at least help you to understand when I use them what it is I'm talking about. Number one is, is what we will call the church age. The church age is the time we are in right now. This is the church age. Some other positions consider the church age to be synonymous with the kingdom. Now, uh, you may not agree with that. I'm not sure I agree with that. But I'm, but I'm going to just give you tonight just some overall views, and we'll untangle it all later. And what I will do is I'm going to teach my view. I figure the only way I can teach this is to kind of tell you different, different ways of looking at it that are scriptural. And then I'm just going to teach you where I've landed and why I've landed there. And then if you have some other nuance that you want to put in what you believe, praise God. But at least we, that, that'll be a good starting place. So the church age. The church age is this time period that the church remains on the earth to do the work of God. The second word is the word millennium or millennialism. The word millennium is the 1,000-year reign of Christ and the saints. Now, as we will find out in just a minute, some people believe this to be a literal 1,000 years. I would be of that camp. I would believe this to be a literal 1,000-year period of peace where Christ and his saints reign. Some others, and uh, I, we won't spend a lot of time with their position, but I can tell you right now that a guy by the name of Augustine, who was a fairly notable church theologian, took that to mean something a little bit more figurative. And others have thought that along with other images in the book of the Revelation, maybe that's figurative as well. But, but it has to do with that time period of Christ's reign. Now, there are basically three variations of millennialism. Three variations. The first one is post-millennial. All right? Post-millennial. And this is what's interesting. Up to about the mid-1800s, most everybody was a post-millennialist. Now, I know that's not the case today, but up to about the mid-1800s, that was the prevailing viewpoint. I can tell you right now, Jonathan Edwards, Spurgeon, Wesley, I, can, I, I could go through some real giants of the faith. They were post-millennialists. And post-millennialists, by and large, are very, very optimistic people. In, in fact, uh, they believe that the millennial time period is a time that we will move into as a church. Some, again, believe it to be literal. Some would believe it to be more spiritual or figurative. But what postmillennialism is, is that it is this, this movement of the church into a time period that it has progressive victory, victory after victory for the saints and for the church. 
Postmillennialists believe that when Christ uh, was died, he was buried, he rose from the dead. They would look at Colossians, I believe it is uh, 2 and 15, where it says that he spoiled all powers and principalities. He disarmed them all, made a mockery of them. They believe that Christ's uh, atonement at the cross was absolute, ultimate, and final. And now the church is implementing that in the earth, and we are the benefactors. And progressively, as we implement that in the earth, we are finding victory after victory after victory. Now, to be a post-millennialist, you have to have a real long view of history. And, and truth of the matter is, if you look at about A.D. 30, and you considered the year 2004, well, the church has made some remarkable progress, hasn't it? I, I mean, if you looked at it with that kind of lens. And, and so if you, if you do, you can kind of see how you could look at it that way. Uh, post-millennialists, means that Christ will not come bodily until after the millennium. So there is no secret rapture under this view. I will, I will show you on the, on the board here in just a minute. There's no secret rapture under this one. In fact, a lot of people call the post-millennial view the U-turn view. In fact, Christ comes, the saints arise, and then everybody makes a U-turn and, and comes right down to be on the earth. Uh, but here's the key. The key is that, that a post-millennialist believes that victory is tangible, it is progressive, it is ever happening, and the church is implementing it as it moves through history. Now, the second millennialist is what is sometimes called an amillennialist. An amillennialist. Sometimes there's another view, it's called realized eschatology. That's a real fancy name, realized eschatology. Well, an amillennialist, basically, and, and if, you, if you use the word ah in front of a word, what does that mean? Without or no. So they believe there's no millennial period. And uh, somewhat, they're somewhat like the posties. They're, they're, they're somewhat, but the millennium to them is figurative. And it is a symbol. The millennium is just a symbol of this age now. And in this view, uh, the church is progressively uh, moving forward and, and being victorious. But an amillennialist doesn't believe that it's, it's tangible in the earth. They believe that these victories are spiritual. And so it's, it's, it's just spiritual victories. And so, so Christ's death, burial, and resurrection basically applied to just the spirit realm or the spiritual realm, and it had no earthly manifestation. Obviously, this one's probably the, the least one held to because um, we would believe there would be ramifications in the earth if, if Jesus died for us. It would have some form of ramification in our lives. So not many believe that. Then the third one, which I have to tell you, the vast majority today would adhere to. I mean, I don't, it would be 80, 90 percent of conservative evangelical Christians would be what they would call premillennial in their view. Now, there are various views of what it means to be premillennial. I'll show you that in just a minute. But this is the group who believes that there is a literal 1,000-year period that is prefaced, or before that 1,000-year period, there's going to be this seven-year time period of tribulation. And this tribulation slowly increases until there's going to be just incredible wrath that will be poured out at the end of that seven-year time period, um, until finally there'll have to be an intervention that takes place. And that will be the catastrophic moment that uh, the millennial reign will begin to start, and there will be a thousand-year time period after that. Now, under premillennialism, there are, all, there are various forms. Now, hang on, we'll go through this in just a minute. There are pre-tribulational premillennialists, which means Jesus comes before the seven years. There are mid-tribulationalists, which means he comes in the middle of the seven years. There are pre-wrath premillennialists, 
which means that somewhere in the last half of the tribulation, about halfway in the last half, he shows up. There are post-tribulationalists who believe that he doesn't show up until the end of the seven-year time period. And then there are all sorts of various views, and I'll show you one here in just a minute, that's a partial pre-tribulational viewpoint. And so there's all sorts of variations, and let me just share this with you. They're going to have lots of scripture that's going to put it all together for you. And that's why I'm really careful that, that, that I, don't, I don't let my eschatology be my measuring stick for fellowship. Because you know what? If I have to be Hal Lindsey, I, I'm, I, then I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble. Because I think Hal's a great guy and he studied it a lot, but I, I don't know that he's got every nuance perfect. I'm going to share things with you, and I'll, and I'll admit it. I'm not sure I've got every nuance perfect. I'm just honest enough to say it. So as we study this, even if you would say to yourself, you know, I'm not sure about that, then, then at least let it be such that you would go to the Word of God and you'd figure it out then. Because if I can drive you back to the book, then that's the best thing I could do anyway. All right? So you don't have to agree with me, but before I'm done, you're going to understand why I landed where I did. And I'm going to, I'm going to prove it by the book. And if you disagree with me, that's great, but just prove it by the book. All right? We can live with that, can't we? Number three. We've got to get back to vocabulary. One of the words I want to give you is rapture. The rapture is the catching away of the saints. Now, the vast majority of writers separate this event with the actual second coming of the Lord. Whenever we talk about the second coming, many people get confused over the rapture and the actual what we would call the revelation or the second coming of Jesus. Most writers distinguish these two events. Now, there are some who will, who will call these two events to be synonymous. Those that believe in U-turn theories are those that would believe these two events are synonymous. But the vast majority, for instance, if, you, if you're Jack Van Empey, Hal Lindsey, if you're a pre-tribulational, pre-millennialist, you're going to believe that there's going to be a secret catching away of the saints called the rapture, and then seven years later, there's going to be a second coming of the Lord. All right? So they are not synonymous terms. And so as you go through the scripture, you need to be just a little on your toes and knowing if you're talking about the second coming or you're talking about the rapture. And then finally, number four, before we get to the chart board, number four, let's talk about the Antichrist. The Antichrist is that person who will arise during the tribulation period to deceive the world. The Antichrist, in my opinion, is a person. I believe it's, 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 a, it's a satanically... Now, when we talk about possession nowadays, most people, if they have a possession or an oppression issue, you have a demonic oppression. I'm talking about this dude's got the devil in him. All right? Yeah. Antichrist. And, and he will be the one that will arise during the tribulation when all of these incredible things are, are happening, these, these woes and these judgments, and all of this is being poured out. He arises, and he's the one that can bring sense to it all. He'll be the one that will knit all of these things together. He will talk to the people, and he will, out, you know, out of his supposed wisdom, he will have one world government. He will have the one world religion. He will implement a one world economy. And we can begin to see the beginnings. In fact, John said this spirit was already in the earth. And we're beginning to see the manifestation of some of those very things begin to take place. Now, some people do say that whenever Antichrist shows up that he is a spirit. And again, you could, you could well understand that those who might apply some things more figuratively would probably lean that direction. And so Antichrist, and he will be one of, the, one of the people that will come up in all of these scenarios, and the Antichrist arises, he manifests 
during this seven-year tribulation period. So let's start, and I, and I made myself some cards here, because I wanted to show you by way of a, of a, of a timeline. Do you, have, do you have a piece of paper? And I'm going to go through this real quick, okay? I'm going to draw a line right like this, and we'll just, we'll just, we'll just call that the cross event. And uh, we'll just call this church age. Can everybody see that? And I'll, I'll walk around and, and everybody can see that. This is called church age, all right? And, and so you can kind of see it on a timeline. And if you want to write these things out, maybe some of your Bibles are really good and they, they already have these things for you. But this is, and I'm, and I'm not going to, this is, this, is post, this is a post-millennial. A post-millennial now, this is the interesting thing. Israel and the church equal one people. Now, now, what I mean by that is when they read the scripture, they're not going to see an actual national Israel. They're not going to see the Gentile church. They're not going to see these things. They're going to see everything combined and that everybody now is one people, the, pe the people of God. And um, the tribulation is not age long. It is not seven years. And this present age, the church is, is moving along and it is realizing uh, the kingdom in the earth, until finally there'll be uh, what we would call the second coming or the rapture, and then as we meet the Lord in the air, it comes back, and then there's this 1,000-year time period, and that's, again, one of the U-turn theories. Do you see, see that? So right now they say things are optimistic, things are moving along, and there's no literal seven-year time period of tribulation, but that would be more figurative in nature. All right, that's post-millennialism. We're going to hurry and try to do this. And you'll bear with my rotten writing, right? Say amen. Thank you. Age. Ah, millennialism. There are actually two guys that were under this one. I mentioned one whose name was Augustine. Augustine is the same exact way. He would say Israel and uh, the Gentiles, and we're talking about saved Gentiles now, or the church, are, the, are one people. There's no distinction between these two. He would also say, Augustine would, would that the church is the kingdom. Those two, those two phrases are synonymous. There's no seven-year tribulation period. Remember, this is all spiritual. And again, they believe in this U-turn theory. Jesus comes, the saints are caught up, and then everything U-turns, and, uh, and, and then eternity happens. Now you have to realize this is, this is spiritualized. Uh, from that point forward, there's not a literal thousand years. You're just, it's, it's eternity. All right, that's Augustine's view. Now there's a guy by the name of B.B. Warfield. This is what he said. He said, the church, he said the church is not the kingdom on earth, but the kingdom is something that is strictly up here. In fact, you will hear people to teach even today that when you read the Bible and you see the word kingdom, it automatically means heaven. Have you ever heard anybody teach that? They'll teach kingdom, and it means if it says kingdom, well, that's got to be heaven, and we know that not to be true. Because there's too many other verses that signify that we are to pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, uh, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. And so we know that's not exactly true, and that's one of their, their shortcomings. But this is, this is um, um, uh, a guy by the name of B.B. Warfield. He was, a, he was a Presbyterian. He was at Princeton University. And everything else is pretty much the same. Uh, he believed in the U-turn theory, and that's the second amillennial view. Now let's get to the stuff most of us adhere to, okay? Let's start talking about premillennialism. 
We're still in the church age. This is premillennial, pre-tribulational view. This, this is taught that Israel is separate from the church. If you listen to John Hagee or Hal Lindsey or any of these guys, they're going to talk about the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is going to be very important in their understanding because that's going to be the key. When God starts working in the earth, he's going to be working with the nation he made covenant with, Israel. And, and while the church plays a role, they have very distinct roles in their understanding. Now, the church age goes on until there's this catching away of the saints. This is eminent. This can happen at any moment. It can happen before we get home. It can happen tomorrow. It can happen next week. It can happen at any moment, this thing that's called the rapture. And uh, that's when we're taken away. There's a seven-year time period that exists in there. This is pre-tribulational, because this is the tribulation. And this is called pre-tribulational, pre-millennialism. Until finally, it gets so bad that Christ intervenes. Here's the second coming, where he comes with his saints that have been taken up here. And then we have a thousand years of him reigning with the saints. And, I, and I'd be willing, if I were a betting man, I would bet that 90% of you believe that right there. Am I close? <laughs> All right, that's okay. You have a lot of good reasons. You have a lot of good... Now, now let me share this one with you. This is... This is I, I ran across this one just real recently, and it has intrigued me. Because I haven't, I haven't changed. No, this is not the one. This is, a, this is the partial one. This is the partial... But this has intrigued me so much, because... This is what we will call the partial rapture theory. And it could happen any, at any, in any particular time. It can happen at the beginning of the seven-year period. If you believe that it happens in the middle or you believe it happens anywhere along the way, you could apply this. But what, but what happens, everything remains the same. But right here, when this rapture takes place, the only ones that are raptured are not the... Not, remember how I've spent all these weeks talking about dabblers and disciples? Think about the parables where Jesus talks about he comes for wise and foolish virgins. They're all virgins, but he only takes the wise and he leaves the foolish. He talks about wheat and tares. He says they're all growing together, but he only pulls out the wheat. Under this particular theory, which is partial, those who have lived all out, I mean 24-7, I mean they were, their heart was hot after God. There was no... There was no tepidness in him. We're not talking Laodicean people here. We're not talking that they're lukewarm. I mean, he pulls out those that lived all out for him. Now, you think about this. You've got to think in a worldwide system. You think about Sudanese Christians who are giving their lives. They are being killed by an Islamic government today. Today. Hundreds died probably today for no other reason than they were Christian. And they gave their lives for that. It happened in China, in the house church. It's happened in other places. And, and here we are in America. In America, we say, come on down, sign the card, raise your hand, and go live like you want to. How many of you know that probably there's this giant tilt sound in the heavenlies? Now, I'm just saying that's, that's why it intrigues me. Because there was always something in me, and I guess maybe it was the justice thing in me. It just seemed like, well, golly, gee, bum. I mean, these people, they, all they did was fill out a card, pray a prayer, raise their hand, and, you know, they bar hop, they sleep around. 
You know, they do everything the world does, and, you know, they just had a fire insurance policy. You mean they get zapped out of here just like me, and I'm going all out? Something just doesn't seem right about that. And I'll hear people say, well, that's just the grace of God. Okay. Okay. Well, maybe, 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 maybe. But you still got to deal with, you still got to deal with, with, with the passages where they're knocking at the door saying, Lord, 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 Lord. They're confessing his name, and he says, I don't know you. You even read Tim LaHaye's books. I got a kick out of, I was talking to Pastor Bob today, and we were talking about Tim LaHaye's books. Even in Tim LaHaye's books, people that were left behind had been great churchgoers. There were pastors that were left behind. Well, so anyway, I'm just simply saying, you know, hopefully that won't be the case with this one. But I mean, I'm, 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 I'm all out, man. I'm... <clears throat> but anyway, and then what happens is, is that those who are, who, if we want to call believers, or they were tepid, they were lukewarm, it wasn't a heart transformation or whatever the case may be, these will be the ones in that seven-year time period who will have to press through and deal with the issues of whether or not they take the mark. They'll have to deal with the issues of whether they have to give their life for the sake of the gospel. And, and we say, well, that doesn't seem fair. I, you ask that question to a Sudanese brother right now. See, all right, all right, we'll leave that one go. That one just intrigues me. I'm not there yet, but it's just an intriguing. That was partial. All right, mid-tribulation. Right there, the seven-year time period starts. And then in the middle of the tribulation period, three and a half years, there is a catching away. And um, we, we will deal with some of these verses, and we'll talk about how that works. But the man of lawlessness or the Antichrist is revealed, and there will be, and then you will only experience some of the birth pangs or some of the initial issues of tribulation, but under this view, you're spared from, from the wrath um, to come, and then Christ comes for that 1,000-year time period. That's mid-tribulation, mid and they have a lot of good verses. I mean, there are a lot of smart guys that advocate that. All right. The next one is somewhat similar to this. This is called pre-wrath rapture. You know, the Bible says that, that as, as, as believers that we will not experience the wrath of God. That the wrath of God will not be poured out upon his people. And, and, and so the question is, when is the wrath of God poured out? Now, if you were a pre-tribulational person, you would say, well, well we aren't going to have to go through the seven years because that whole time is a time of judgment. But what if I could show you in the scriptures that the wrath of God isn't poured out until about halfway through that second three-and-a-half-year period? What if I could take you to the Scripture and show you specifically that that is when the wrath is poured out? I could show you specifically that that's when the last trumpet is sounded, and I could show you specifically that uh, that's when rewards are dispensed. Well, it would make you think that maybe that's when it happens. Whoa. So the rapture actually happens there. And then the rest of it takes place as we've been taught. All right? It's really kind of an interesting view. Because, again, I'm, I just know as Americans, we've kind of developed a Western, Americanized, convenient microwave Christianity. But, again, when you begin to study it in light of a world, what, what people worldwide have pressed through, um, I, I tell you what, I don't, you know, you talk, again, I'm going to use our Sudanese uh, brethren and sisters. Like, hey, they're living tribulation. I mean, what are you going to, I mean, you, th you think if I went preaching to them, you get, you get to leave the wrath. Now, they may like that, I mean, but they've already experienced everything that's going to come forth. 
It doesn't get any more desperate than threatening your life. So I'm just saying as Americans, let's be careful we don't interpret the gospel from our Americanized view, but let's make sure we're really hearing what the Word of God is saying. And then uh, the final view is um, post-millennial, excuse me, post-tribulational premillennialism, which means that um, at the end of the seven-year period, that there are some who maintain that, that Christians go through the whole thing, and at the end of that seven-year time period, and again, that's, that's another one of the U-turn theories, um, um, Christ comes, we, we, we meet him in the air, and basically we come back to the earth with him in order to do the work of the millennial reign. All right, so, so I, I put those on the board. If you wanted to copy them, that's fine. If you don't, maybe you understand it. But at least when we start talking, you have some conception, I hope, in your mind as, as to what uh, you believe. And let me just say right now, I, am a, I personally am pre-tribulational, I'm not, excuse me, pre-millennial, and I'm going to hold on where I am in the tribulation until I get there. All right? Because I don't want the next six weeks everyone coming up to me and proving their point until I get a chance. So I am pre, uh, pre-millennial. I believe in a literal seven-year period. I believe that the thousand-year period comes after that. And then I'm going to show you in the scriptures uh, some of the interesting features of, of where I would land in that particular scenario. Throw up these last points and I'll be done. Uh, these are the points I want you to remember. Number one, remember that our view of eschatology does not necessarily define our fellowship. You know, I, you know, I don't care if you think the locus of the revelation is, you know, nuclear-powered helicopters and, and, you know, you're raising red heifers in your backyard and you think everybody ought to be doing that. I mean, that's fine. If that's your thing, that's fine. But our fellowship isn't defined. That's what I call non-essential. That's non-essential. Whether you're, whether you're pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, I don't care. You post-toasties. I don't know. You can be anything. But... It does not define our fellowship. It ought not. All right. If, if, if it does, I think you're, then I think you got a sectarian spirit. I think that probably is a sectarian spirit. Number two, our view of eschatology should not cause us to be culturally passive with the gospel. I, I should have put one thing on my view. I am an optimistic premillennial person. I, I, I do believe the church is moving forward, even though I'm premillennial in my view. I believe there is a victory that can be pressed into the earth. So, so uh, I don't believe we should be culturally passive. Some people believe that because things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse, and that's all the scripture that ever gets taught to them, they just throw their hands up in the air, and there's the old saying, why polish brass on a sinking ship? Why are we taking care of something that's all going to be burned up anyway? Well, you know, truth of the matter is, yeah, it's all going to be burned up, but we have a mandate from the Lord to press his promises in the earth. And, and that's a, a part of the evangelizing process. We're not only evangelizing people, which is our first priority, but we are being a part of all of redemption. We are redeeming everything back, and we're a part of that. So we cannot be culturally passive. Number three, all the understanding or revelation, I really believe this, may not have been released yet by the Holy Spirit. See, I am just, I, I want to be humble enough to say, you know what? Maybe God hasn't opened our eyes up to everything yet. Maybe, well, you say, well, he has for me. Well, wow. Well, I don't know. I just, it's just amazing to me as you study history how God reveals things along history, and all of a sudden we think here in 2004 we got it all. I bet they thought they had it all in 1738. I'll bet, but they didn't. And maybe we don't. Maybe, maybe there's things that, that our eyes have been veiled to. 
that he will open our eyes to and we will see in all this. Number four, nobody has every detail exactly. Nobody has the date. Everybody may have a good guess, maybe some good speculation, but nobody has every detail. And then finally, number five, Jesus is returning, and the bottom line is we need to live ready. That's the bottom line. We live ready. So it doesn't matter whether it's tomorrow, next week, next year. I don't know. If he, if he doesn't, maybe we've all got it wrong, and it's another hundred years. I, sometimes that boggles my mind. I can't hardly believe that to be so. But if that be true, we still have responsibilities to live ready and to do the work of the gospel. So uh, these next few weeks, we're going to stop there. And uh, this is going to be instruction, instructional time, and, and there's going to be some really neat lessons. We're going to talk about fig trees, and we're going to talk what Jesus meant by the fig tree. We're going to talk about what he meant by this generation shall not pass until when these things begin to happen, and whether that means us or not. Um, we're going to talk about how fast is lightning fast. You know, he's going to come in the twinkling of an eye, it says. How quick is that? We'll talk about the rapture. We'll talk about what the revelation was uh, dealing with when it was talking about those bowls of wrath that are coming in, in the last judgments that are dispensed and, and whether we're pulled out at that particular time. Uh, we'll talk about the Antichrist. We're going to talk about all the things he's going to start doing. Um, and we'll get back into a few of the signs of the end times. And hopefully it will give you a sense of comfort that you could be a part of the generation that sees some of the greatest things that have ever happened. Because while all these things are taking place, let me also say this, while all of this is taking place, Isaiah is, is absolutely true where he says, though there be darkness, yea, even gross darkness on the face of the earth, a light will shine. A light will shine. And kings and princes will come to the brightness of its rising. I think that's us. I believe that's us. So don't be dismayed if, it, if it's getting darker. The darker it gets, the brighter we get. Amen? Praise God. So God will use that. All right. Well, stand with me, please. Even so, come Lord Jesus. I didn't mean to confuse you. I'm just trying to train you. Now you understand why your brethren may not see it exactly like you do, at least in a very superficial way. So just, we're going to get through it. And, and I may confirm all your suspicions. I may confirm everything you always believed. And maybe I'll challenge a few things. And if it takes you back to the book and you adhere to my view, wonderful. If you stick to your own, that's okay. Just understand why. Praise God. So Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come and help us. Lord, we need the eyes of our heart to be open. We need revelation to come to our understanding. Lord, we believe that there are some things that we really weren't to know. And we were to walk by faith and just... Just to believe. But there were other things, Lord, I believe that you want us to know and to understand and even sense that the time is near. And that should spur us on to greater exploits. It should cause our passion to increase. It should cause the work of God to be ever before us. And Lord, we just don't want to miss that. We want to be the generation that knows, that can see, that can sense. So, Lord, I just ask that your spirit would come in and, and help us. Lord, we just confess to you. We, we, we'd like a little understanding in this area. Because we believe it could be the very thing maybe someone else will run into, needs to know or hear or understand that could help get them ready. 
Lord, I just feel still compelled to pray. Lord, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't in any way, shape, or form want, want to be those five foolish virgins. Lord, I don't want to be tares in the earth. Lord, I pray right now that you would just cause us to live passionately for you. That there'll be no doubt, there'll be no consideration, but that when you come, we will know you and you will know us. And it'll be the most natural leap we've ever made. Help us to keep our eyes focused in that direction. Bless your people, Lord. Lord, I speak peace to them it's through this weekend and all that may transpire. Lord, let's give us peace and confidence in you that all things are in your hand. Even the natural elements, Lord, it's all in your hand. And it's all going to be okay. And Lord, we again, we just lift up our brethren in Florida and all along the East Coast, however it all shakes out, Lord. Give us, give us peace, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Help us to see in the midst of a difficulty, Lord, your sustaining, miraculous power. We've seen, Lord, your judgment. All you have to do is sneeze. <laughs> and wow. So, Lord, help us to see your arm and your mercy and your goodness in that as well. So bless your people, I pray. Keep us safe as we gather this week. And I ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Give the Lord a big hand clap and God bless you. And we'll see you Sunday. Amen.